We've been going through the book of Mark up to this point, uh, taking a few breaks here and there to talk about why we do certain things, why we, why we have elders, why we practice the Lord's Supper and baptism, things like that. And, and so we're continuing today in our look at the book of Mark, and we're coming upon an issue um, that needs to be dealt with. And uh, so I, I just need to start out by asking, what do you think of, what comes to your mind when you think about the word Sabbath? What comes to mind? Some of you rest, okay. Hopefully not too many of you are, are right now humming Iron Man or War Pigs or have images of Ozzy Osbourne running through your heads. That's always a possibility. It's not condemning there. But right, most of us are thinking about this day of rest, this holy day that's devoted to God, right? Where we are to, to worship Him, where we are to honor Him, where we're not to do any work, right? And our mind, when we think about the Sabbath, automatically goes to this concept of, okay, when do we do it, what do we do, and how long do we do it? It's a natural byproduct, you know, where we're, we, we instantly kind of go there. But... Here's the thing. Thinking about the Sabbath on those terms is every bit as wrong as banging your head right now to the song Paranoid. Okay? It's just as wrong to think about it in that light as it is to, to think about something completely off the wall. Right? The Sabbath has a, has a separate meaning. I mean, the, the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus is dealing with uh, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and they're so focused on the what and the when and the how that they don't really recognize that the Sabbath is really about the who. And, and in missing that, they miss everything completely, both who is the one who instituted it and who is the one that is to be changed by it. The Sabbath is not about what you do as much as it is who you are. What God wants you to be. The Sabbath is meant to change us. And so you see right away that there's a right way and a wrong way to keep the law. And Jesus, by the grace of God, is here to show us how to do that. So today as we look at our passage in Mark chapter 2 verses 23 through 28 on this issue of Jesus and the Sabbath, we're going to see that Jesus is, is challenging our understanding of religion, of what it means to follow God. Because you can be very religious and still hate Jesus. But religion that is pleasing to God is not so much about the what or the when or the how, but again, the who. A Sabbath observant that, observance that is pleasing to God is one that recognizes and honors the Lord of the Sabbath. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. It's page 838 in the Bibles there in the chairs, and I hope you'll, you'll turn there with us, page 838. <clears throat> it says, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, I have to admit from the get-go, I had a little struggle in how to deal with this text. How do you preach a sermon on this issue? Originally, I was going to look at chapter 2, verse 23, all the way through chapter 3, verse 6, because the main issue that ties both together is this issue of the Sabbath. But in preaching, your goal of preaching a sermon is always to preach the main point of the text. That's the goal. That's the ambition. That's what we're striving for. But at times you find that there are significant issues that also need to be dealt with. And those, at times when you preach, they, they coincide really well. The, the tension there between the two is really minimal, and you can, the main point is basically the significant issue, and you can deal with that exclusively. But other times, like this one, they're different. Right? The main point is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. 
The significant issue is how do we think about, how do we deal with the Sabbath? And because of that, I decided to cut the text in half and try to be faithful with both. I don't know if I will, time will tell whether or not I will. But we need to look at what the main point is, but also think about what the Sabbath is really all about and what's the implication for us. So that's the direction we're going to be taking. So I I also have to give a second apology, right? The second one is if you're new here, I, I... I, uh, whether, whether you're here as a believer or you're here just kind of seeking to try, try to understand Christianity, I have to tell you that, that it's always my goal to make things understandable. I mean, I, I keep my six-year-old son here in the front row to remind me that I need to speak in a way, maybe he won't understand everything, but what he can catch a good amount. And so I try to speak in a way that, that will relate to him, that he can understand, but The reality is there are times where you come to issues, you come to passages, and they are a bit more heady. This is going to be one of those. So, apology in advance. Hang with us. Hope you come back. Hope you come back many times, right? So this is not a typical deal, but this is the first time we as a church have looked at this issue of the Sabbath, and so I think we need to give it due diligence. So we'll look at these issues. Understanding the biblical foundation for the Sabbath, the main point of the text, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and then we'll draw implications from Jesus' lordship over the Sabbath. That's the direction that we're going. So first, let's look at the biblical foundation for the Sabbath. Right? We see what's happening. It's a Sabbath. It's this holy day of rest for the people of Israel. And Jesus and his disciples are walking through this grain field, and as they're going along, His disciples are are plucking grain and they're eating it. Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, see this and they have some huge problems with that. For us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. They're like, okay, they're walking, they grab some grain. So what? You know? But the Sabbath is the covenant sign for the people of God. This was a huge deal to them. And it was a big deal to break it. The Israelites, they were set apart by certain laws that they had, the Old Testament laws. There, was, there were laws pertaining to what they could eat. There were laws pertaining to the ceremonies and the religious festivals that they practiced. There was laws pertaining to the temple and what, what made you clean and what made you defiled. But there were two main outward signs, two biggies. One was the Sabbath and the other was circumcision. Now, they didn't have the luxury at that time to go around burying themselves to prove that they're the people of God, right? And you don't want them to, you know? You don't want them, you know, derobing to kind of show you, hey, look at me, I've been circumcised, I'm a person of God. So, how they did it was strict observance to the Sabbath. But to understand the sign, we have to take a little bit of a biblical history lesson. We've got to take a, a, an Old Testament biblical theology tour. So this should excite some of those who are in my community group because we're, we're doing that. We're trying to study this. So this is practice for how do we look at an issue through biblical theology. So hang with me, please. According to the fourth commandment, the Sabbath was rooted in creation. So you go back to Genesis 2. This is where things start to unfold. Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3 says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Did you pick up on any repeating phrase there? You know, all the work that he had done in creation. On the seventh day, God's work of creation was complete. So God, God rested from his creating work, his creating work. That's an important distinction. And he set that day apart. He blessed it and he made it holy for himself. And so Adam and Eve, the first two people in the world, dwelt with God while he was in his Sabbath rest. It's not that they were in the Sabbath rest, but that they dwelt with God while He was in His Sabbath rest. But that didn't last long, right? Genesis chapter 3, what happens? They sin against God. God gives them one single prohibition. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they rebelled against it. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to live as if that was their world and they were God. 
And so, which is the essence of sin. And so they took the, the forbidden fruit. They ate of it. And because of that, they were banished. They were removed from God's place. They were removed from God's blessing. They no longer experienced that Sabbath rest that they had when they dwelt with God because they were outside of God's grace. Not that they missed out on on a day. It wasn't in terms of a day, but in terms of this relationship that they had spiritual and physical peace with God while they dwelt with Him in His Sabbath rest. But that is no more. Their sin had completely removed it. And they were outcasts. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 16. And what you see there is that God has just delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He's done it miraculously with all these plagues. They walk through the Red Sea, all this kind of stuff. And they're out there in the wilderness, in the desert. They've got no food. They've got no water. And God provides for them miraculously. He gives them manna, this bread from heaven. And there in Exodus 16 is where you see God first establishing the Sabbath. He said that on the first six days, he's going to provide. On that sixth day, he's going to provide a double portion because on the seventh, there's not going to be any. So you collect a double portion on the sixth day, and on the seventh day, that day is to be devoted to the Lord. That that day is to be holy. And just a few chapters later, he gives his law in Exodus 20. And that's where we get the Ten Commandments. The fourth of which says this. Remember the Sabbath day, that Sabbath day that he just instituted, and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, not your livestock or the sojourner, that's the foreigner, who happens to be staying within your gates. For the six, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So from that point on, the Sabbath becomes a sign of God's covenant with Moses and his people. Alright? It's pointing back to that original trajectory from Genesis, that the goal of life, the reason why God continued to show mercy to Adam and Eve, was because there was this hope of returning to that Sabbath rest that they once experienced with Him. That's the ultimate goal. And so He's calling them back to that. And He displays it with the sign, the Sabbath. And signs in the Old Testament are really, really significant. God's sign of His covenant promises to Noah was a rainbow. God's Sign to Abraham and his covenant to him was circumcision. And God's sign to Moses and to the people when he gave the law was the Sabbath. And that's why this is such a big deal. And it was to be strictly followed. I mean, if one failed to observe the sign of the covenant according to Exodus 31, according to Exodus 35 and Numbers 15, was that they were to be put to death. They were to be stoned if they did not observe the Sabbath. This was to be a sign forever between God and His people, according to Leviticus 16. And so the Sabbath is a weighty thing in the Old Testament. Alright? The Levitical law, then as you continue to go through, please hang with me, (laughs) uh, it added and further clarified this command. The people were not only to rest, but they were to offer extra sacrifices and to devote that day to the Lord. They even instituted a sabbatical year so that every seventh year, if you had a field, you were not to work on that field. You were to let it go. So even the land that God had given them was to rest. And whatever God had naturally produced from the leftover in the previous year, that was made available for those who didn't have land. People like, like widows or orphans or sojourners so that they could reap the benefit of the land. So God was providing. It was a good thing to let that Sabbath rest. <clears throat> um, and this, um, as you keep going... Work was also clarified throughout the Old Testament. There were certain things that you could do on the Sabbath and certain things that you couldn't. For example, things that you could do, you could hold military campaigns, you could have marriage feasts, you could have dedication feasts, 
He could still perform all the tasks of a priest, offering sacrifices. You could go visit a man of God. You could prepare the show bread, the, the bread of presence. You could take out the old bread of presence. Um, you could perform all your priestly duties, and you could open up the east gate, just the east gate. I don't know why, but the east gate. But you could not pick up sticks. You couldn't kindle a fire. You couldn't gather food. You couldn't sell goods, and you couldn't bear any burdens. And again, if you did, you would be stoned to death. All right. Now the prophets. See, we're we're making we're making good progress here. We're almost done. The prophets. The Sabbath was closely associated with the land. It was closely tied to God's covenant promise to give the Israelites the promised land, the land of Canaan. And to have rest referred to Israel's possession of the land and their victory over their enemies. So, in other words, God's blessing was Sabbath rest. All right? Loss of rest in the prophets was the result of idolatry. Every time the Sabbath is, talking, is talked about in terms of losing rest, it's due to their idolatry, that they had profaned the Sabbath, that they had denied the Sabbath, and that they had gone after other gods. And so the Lord removed their rest by sending his judgments upon them. So what you see in the prophets is that the Sabbath rest equals God's blessing and that this lack of rest, this lack of Sabbath equals God's judgment. Yet in Isaiah 66, it points towards a future Sabbath, a future hope, sort of a calling back to that return of that relationship like God had with Adam and Eve before the fall. And it says um, that people from every nation, every single nation, not just Israel, will celebrate in the Sabbath rest of God. It says, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which is a familiar term from Revelation, um, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. That's to Israel. From new moon to new moon, from month to month, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, from Saturday to Saturday, all flesh will come and worship before me, declares the Lord. So what God is saying here is that he promises a future Sabbath in which all those who survived his judgment would celebrate not just one day a week, but daily. But this was still yet to come. This was a future hope. This was looking towards a, an eschatological, a future end. And this concludes our brief Old Testament biblical theology tour of the Sabbath. Hopefully that was not too painful. But you see, like when you look at all this stuff that I just mentioned, you can see why the Israelites took the Sabbath so seriously and why they focused on the what, the when, and the how about the Sabbath. It's not surprising. But they even added a few more of their own regulations to make sure that no one profaned it, no one broke it. It's like if God gives you the law, hey, stay five feet away from that speaker, otherwise your ears get explode. They just said, hey, let's go ahead and let's stay ten feet away, right? It seems like a good thing, but they were adding to God's law. So that by the time you reach Jesus' day, this day where he's challenging him here, there are 39 different works that they were prohibited from doing, and that includes a lot of subcategories as well. I mean, things like, hey, you cannot sew more than one single stitch. You can't sew two stitches. And if you want to sew two stitches, you can't undo an old stitch in order to sew two stitches. I mean, it's just kind of crazy stuff like that. It's where they had 39 different, different types. They were adding to the law. And one of these additional regulations they had was that you could not travel farther than one kilometer. And another one was that you could not harvest grain, no matter how little or how much, which would include plucking grain as you walked farther than one mile or one kilometer on your way. Okay, So you see why the Pharisees were upset then. You see why they questioned Jesus and they said, look, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? In traveling and in plucking grain, they had broken the Sabbath, and this was punishable by death. I mean, Jesus, you are supposed to be teaching with authority. You're the one claiming that you have authority to forgive sin. You're doing these things that are extraordinary, and we want to believe that you're the Messiah, but this is crazy. What are you doing? 
What is going on here? This is not according to the law. And so they rejected it. And so what the Pharisees and all these religious leaders of God's people had done for fear of breaking the commandment was to take this sign which was meant to point towards God's gracious act of redemption. This token of His covenant faithfulness to redeem and save His people. This weekly symbol of their goal to imitate the character of God. This visible reminder of their need for spiritual and physical rest. This day out of the week for joyful celebration of God's redeeming love. And they've turned it into a burden. They've turned it into a drudgery. To a weight. To a to shackles that enslave you. Instead of focusing on what they get to do on that day, they instead labored over what they cannot do, and they went above God's command, adding stipulations of their own. What God intended to be a regular joyful time of devotion to the one true and faithful God who time and time again had kept his promises and delivered his people in spite of their sin, these religious leaders had turned the Sabbath into a weight that no one could bear. And so Jesus challenged it. He challenged it. And so... That's part of the issue, the foundation of the Sabbath. Now let's look at the main point of the text, that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. Jesus responds to the Pharisees in verses 25 through 26 by saying, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the times of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and he also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus is appealing to scripture in order to set a precedent on how we should think about Old Testament ceremonial law like the Sabbath. This passage is referring to 1 Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 17 when David who at the time was an outlaw, being unjustly hunted by King Saul, makes his way to the village of Nob, where the tabernacle was stored, and he deceived the high priest Ahimelech into giving him the bread of presence and giving it to his men who were with him. It says that this occurred during the time of Abiathar the high priest. Not that he was high priest at that time, but it was during his lifetime. This has been an issue for some people, but it's really not that hard to explain. It's like if I were to describe to you what President George Washington did during his time at Valley Forge, even though he wasn't president at the time. That title is his, it's given to him, and still we refer to him as the president, even though the span of his life he did plenty of things before he was president. We still look backwards on it. Abiathar was the most well-known high priest of that time. And so if things happened during his lifetime, it only makes sense that they would point to Abiathar and not his father, Ahimelech. Okay? His father was much less known. And so that's how they handled it. So, I mean, whether it's Jesus or or tradition or whatever, they're they're getting it right. This is accurate. This is not a a big problem. Jesus is claiming that, that though the bread was reserved only for the priests and it was unlawful for anyone else to eat it, to breaking the Sabbath by doing it, it was good, merciful, and compassionate thing for Ahimelech to give David the bread. It was a good thing that the high priest broke the Sabbath in order to show mercy and compassion to David and his men. He looks on it as a good thing. It's better for him to show mercy than to uphold the letter of the law. And this is why he says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to help man. It was meant to be a blessing to it. It was made for him, not the other way around. The Sabbath was not meant to enslave men to heartless, rigid religious ritual. And so we can't look at the Sabbath as this rigid wooden boundary that we dare not cross, but as a means of blessing for our own benefit. And that changes everything. When we think about it like that, this is for our good, not something that we have to do. You know that this changes everything, right? I mean, if you don't, wait till you have kids and you see... 
And I tell my kids they have to do something, you know, there are times where they want to do other things because they don't, they don't fail to, they fail to see that this is a good thing for them. But if I take them and I show them the end goal, like if I take Gabe and we're doing something special and we're out there and, and he's all excited about it, Gabe will do whatever I ask him to do because he sees this is a blessing. This is for my good. And so it is with the Sabbath. So it is with this idea of rest. This is for my good. This is not a burden. This is not something that I have to do. This is something that I get to do. <clears throat> so God established Sabbath rest for our good. And as we'll see when we look at, at um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, God intended that we do good on the Sabbath just like Ahimelech. All right? So Ahimelech is commended by Jesus for what he's done. But there's something more to this reference in 1 Samuel. Jesus is not only commending what Ahimelech did, but he's commending what David did as well. Right? He's saying it's just fine that David did what he did. But David deceived Ahimelech. Remember, he said that he was on a special errand from the king, when in reality he was an outlaw that King Saul was unjustly hunting him and considered him to be a traitor. And we know that it's not a good thing for the high priest to go against, to commit treachery by helping and abating and abiding an outlaw. This is not a good thing. This is a bad thing. But yet, it's still commended. And not only that, but, but David broke the Sabbath in order to do it. He ate this bread that he wasn't supposed to eat. And not only did he do it, but he gave it to a bunch of other people. So they too broke the Sabbath. Also not a good thing. But even worse is what happens in, in the next chapter. In chapter 22. When King Saul finds out that Ahimelech has given David and his band this bread that he's fed them, that he's aided and abetted them. He sends Doeg to go and kill Ahimelech and 85 priests. The only one that escapes is Abiathar, Ahimelech's son. The only one. 85 men died because of David's deception. Though not ultimately, it was really because of, of Saul's rage that it happened. In part... David's actions resulted in that. So how could Jesus commend David's actions? How could Jesus say, hey, it's okay for me to break the Sabbath because David, King David, did? That makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. I think it's because David is God's anointed one, God's chosen king. And that even though this this terrible circumstance resulted, it was for the ultimate good, that God was using that unfortunate circumstance as a means of protecting and providing for and preserving His chosen King. He was, he was being faithful to His covenant promises to David when He anointed him in 1 Samuel 16, that this is what's happening. God is being true to him. So how does Jesus then go from this commendation of both the priest's action and God's preservation of David, his anointed, to saying what he says in verse 28, that so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, where's the logical connection between those two? I mean, he's basically said, you know, it's okay for David to break the Sabbath to I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Well, how did you get there? That makes no sense. Unless in this passage... Jesus is making an indication of who he really is. If the high priest and the king and King David can break the Sabbath, I can break the Sabbath because I am greater than the high priest. I'm greater than King David, God's anointed one, because I'm the true anointed one, the true Messiah, the true Christ. I can break the Sabbath because I am Lord of the Sabbath. Well, guys, who's Lord of the Sabbath? God, the one who instituted it, is Lord of the Sabbath. So even here is another subtle declaration that Jesus is the divine Son of God who is greater than the high priest and greater than the King David. He says that I can break the Sabbath because I am the Son of Man. 
And I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we saw what Jesus meant by this self-designated title, Son of Man. That it refers to the divine human who is given all authority of God, who is who will suffer, die, and rise again to purchase God's kingdom for himself. That's what is, is wrapped into this, this term, Son of Man. And so Jesus purchases the authority over the Sabbath with his own life. And so Mark adds another piece to the puzzle of our understanding of Jesus' authority as the Son of God. He's shown us a lot already. He's shown us that God has declared that he has authority. He says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The next thing we saw is that Jesus teaches as one who has authority, not like the religious leaders of the day. We saw that Jesus had the authority over men, and that when he called his disciples, they got up immediately and left everything to follow him, without question, without delay, denying their very identity to follow Jesus, right? We saw that Jesus had authority over sickness, over death, over disease, over disability, We're going to see that that Jesus has authority over death, over nature. We see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, that he has authority over evil spirits. And now he even has authority over the Sabbath. But here's the thing about having authority over the Sabbath. And the Pharisees understood this. To say that you have authority over the Sabbath is to say that you have authority over the Mosaic Covenant. And to have authority over the Mosaic Covenant is to say that you have authority over Old Testament law. This is a bold claim. This is why they're so ticked off. This is why by the next chapter they're ready to kill him. Because Jesus is saying, I have all the authority of God. I have authority over the Old Testament. They knew that Jesus, for him to say, I am Lord even of the Sabbath, meant that he said that I am Lord even over the Old Testament. And only God was authority over the Old Testament. So Jesus is either right or he's committing blasphemy. And we know which way they chose. They thought he was denying the very character and nature of God. And so they were enraged. But there's another thing here with the Pharisees and their anger with what Jesus claims. It's one on the heart level. It's one that hits you and me, right? They were angry because Jesus claimed to be Lord over the Sabbath because they wanted to be lords over the Sabbath. And this is where it'll catch us. They got to, in in policing strict Sabbath observance, They got to be the spiritual authorities. They got to judge. They got to dictate. They got to lord their piety over other people. They got to seem self-righteous. They got to seem as God. People had to answer to them. You see what's happening here? And they've taken a good thing, the law, and they've made it into something that they've tried to use to manipulate, to exalt themselves, to be lords over the Sabbath, to be lords over God's people to live as if this is their world and they are God. And so you see, we not only rebel against God when we refuse God's commands, when we outright reject them, when we live in in sin and licentiousness and following the passions and desires of our hearts, but we also do it when we try to uphold God's law by our own strength so that we can stand before God and we can say, God, I have obeyed your law, so you owe me. You owe me because I kept your commandments. You have to do what I want you to do. See what happens here? You are now the authority over God because you have have played his game. And now he owes you. You're the victor. It's self-righteousness. It's the same sort of pride, the same sort of rebellion, just manifest on the other end of the spectrum. It's only when we recognize that we cannot strictly observe the law that we truly recognize who is in authority and then we humble ourselves before him. 
we recognize then, because I cannot keep the law, I cannot save myself, I cannot do all that the Lord requires, because this is not meant to be about me, it's meant to reveal who He is, that His law is meant there to show us how holy, how righteous, how perfect, how good, how loving, how unlike us He is, so that we have to fall on our knees and beg Him for forgiveness. That's the point. And it's the same whether you're a self-righteous Pharisee or you're a vile, wicked, wretched, tax-collecting sinner like Levi. There's no difference. We both need the same thing. We are subject to Him, not He to us. And no amount of law-abiding religious ritual can get us there. God is not pleased just because we go through heartless, mindless religious ritual. This is why Caleb was challenging us. Just think about what you sing about. Are these empty words or do they mean something? Is this the cry of your heart or are you just doing what you think is the right thing to do? Because if it is, man, we're here for the wrong reasons. Why are you here? These Pharisees, they observe the law in order to prove their righteousness to God, in order to lord it over others. So in both situations, whether you're, you're acting in licentiousness and living it up according to the world, or you are trying to vehemently and emphatically obey every letter of the law, you are condemned before God because you cannot. And you need grace. You need Christ. He is the true authority. And salvation is found in Him alone. That's the main point that Mark keeps hammering over and over and over and over again. That Jesus is the authoritative Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised again so that we might have the hope of eternal life, that we might have that Sabbath rest with God. That's the point. So in light of that truth, okay, we now have to go back and look at the implications for the Sabbath. If Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, which He is. We've seen the biblical foundation of the Sabbath up until Jesus' statement. But from here on, the trajectory completely changes. The way Jesus and His disciples view the Sabbath are different. And we've got to examine those. First, Jesus and his disciples, prior to the crucifixion, they still participated in and honored the Sabbath. Okay, Even though Jesus said, hey, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. If my uh, followers, they want to walk farther than a kilometer, if they want to pick grain and eat it, that's fine. He still observed the Sabbath. He still showed up because he was born under the law and lived under the law so that he might redeem us from the law. Okay? That was Jesus' purpose. This is an intermediate state, if you will. Right? So when Jesus abides by the Old Testament Sabbath law, he's not saying, hey, follow my example, continue in the same pattern of the things that you have seen and heard from me. He's saying, I have come to fulfill this. And that's what he did. He lived under the law, according to the law, so that he might redeem us from the law. So that's no longer binding on us. It's not that we just follow his example. He fulfilled it and fulfilled it completely. <clears throat> Second, in Acts, we see that the Jewish Christians, at least early on, still attended the synagogues on the Sabbath. But they also got together on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Sabbath is Saturday, Lord's Day is Sunday, in case you guys don't know that. Um, and so they would just observe both. They would go to the synagogues on the Sabbath. They would preach Christ. They would do all this stuff. They'd get beat up. The next day they'd get released and they'd get together with the church and say, hey, this is awesome. Look at what the Lord has done. But because it was the Lord's day and not the Sabbath, that was a work day. So they probably still had to go to work. Okay? It's not that that entire day from sunup to sundown was devoted to nothing but worship of God. They probably had to work as well. So we don't, we don't have any indication that they set aside the entire day for spiritual and physical rest. Third, Paul's objective 
the Apostle Paul, when he went into new towns to share the gospel, he always started out by going into the synagogues on the Sabbath and preaching to the Jews from the Old Testament of how Jesus is the Christ. So he started doing that as a Jew being like the Jews. But when they rejected him, he would then have no problems with not observing the Sabbath and hanging out with all the Gentiles, sharing the gospel with them. All right? So he's, he's like, you can take it or leave it. It, it didn't really matter. Fourth, in Paul's letters, he treats the Sabbath as a matter of conscience. In Romans 14.5, he says, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So whether you decide to honor the Sabbath or not, or honor certain festivals or things like that, it's got to be a matter of your conscience. That that's really what it's about. You, But... He does say in Galatians 4 that he considers it a vain effort to labor to keep the law of the Sabbath in order to try to please God. You just got to know that you're not pleasing God. You're not buying your own righteousness. You're not buying the grace of God by what you do. Okay. And then in Colossians 2, he says that this, uh, the Sabbath is simply a shadow of the things that find their true substance, their true meaning, their true fulfillment in Christ. So the Sabbath is just, in essence, a shadow of things, not the reality of things. And then fifth, in Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11, the writer seems to take more of the approach that Isaiah did in Isaiah 66, that the true meaning of the Sabbath was to point towards a future day in which all God's people will dwell forevermore in that perfectly restored, peaceful relationship with God. All right? That our goal as Christians, is to enter into God's eternal rest, which is available through persevering faith in Christ and in Christ alone. That that's ultimately the goal. That's what the New Testament has to say about the Sabbath. Now, some might come back and argue, well, the, the fourth commandment roots it in creation. And we've seen that in the Old Testament... God says that this is established forever. So how do we think about that? What do you do with that truth? If, if, these are, if that is true, then these are binding on you, even though the New Testament might seem to say something else. So we've got to kind of deal with that real quick. The, um, again, the, the Jesus and Paul established Jesus as the authority over the Sabbath, and both treat them as no longer required. They did root things in creation, but they never rooted the Sabbath in creation. Okay? Here's some examples. When Jesus argued for the permanence of marriage, he rooted it in creation. When Paul established that only men were to serve in the leadership, the elder positions of the church, he rooted it in creation. When Scripture speaks against homosexuality, saying that it's unnatural, the, the conclusion is that heterosexuality is natural, and that's rooted in creation. Food and marriage are both considered good because they're rooted in creation. Therefore, we don't have to abstain from marriage. We don't have to abstain from certain types of foods. We just need to accept them with thanksgiving, and those are good because they're rooted in creation. But when the New Testament comes to the sign of God's covenant promise to Moses, the Sabbath, it says that it's only a shadow that points to a greater fulfillment in Christ. So we can't treat it as the same thing. So the New Testament treats the Sabbath day observance as no longer required. It has been fulfilled forever in Christ. And I want to come back to this idea of what God's working towards. Remember I said at the very beginning, God rested from his creating work. But God is not resting from his recreating work. The work that he is doing in Christ. John chapter 5 Jesus talks about, my father has been working up to now, and I am working. That there is a work that's happening. God is recreating a people for himself to enter into that Sabbath rest, that Sabbath hope, that eternal, perfectly reconciled relationship with him. And so, it's wrong to think that the Sabbath, Saturday, has been replaced by Sunday, the, the Lord's Day. That's improper terminology. It's not that we've... We've traded this idea of Sabbath on, on Saturday, and now it's Sunday. We have all the same regulations, all the same observances. That's not the way to look at it. It's not a one-for-one. One. 
I've already said that some Jewish Christians still at least observed the, the Sabbath in addition to the Lord's Day, and that because this was Sunday, the first day of the week, they more than likely had to work, so they were clearly breaking the Sabbath commands on the Lord's Day. So basically, it comes down to a matter of conscience. So then how should we think about the Sabbath rest today? Is it completely gone? We just don't need to worry about it? Let's work seven days a week like a dog and, and whatever? It doesn't matter? Well, no. It's not meant that we can just work continually, right? There is something significant that, that Jesus' fulfillment of the Sabbath is, doesn't negate the fact that the Sabbath purpose was to remind us of our need for physical and spiritual rest. Those things continue. Why? Because you're still finite. You're still physically weak. You're still frail. And so physically, you need spirit, you need physical rest. But at the same time, our goal in life is to bring glory to God. The chief end of man is to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that doesn't happen if you neglect Him and you do not devote significant time to spiritual rest. So those things are still in order. A second principle is that Jesus, um, fulfilling the Sabbath, didn't make meeting together with God's people optional. Okay? People remember that, that the Sabbath was a big day for the people of God to come together to celebrate God the entire day. And so people, some people think that when Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath that that's no longer required. Well, that's just not true. All right? There's never a Christian apart from the church. It's just an, it's an impossibility. If our goal in life is Christ-likeness, and that is our goal, in case you don't know, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to reach maturity in Christ, Scripture is clear that you need regular relationship with a local body of believers to do that. Right? You need the church. A third principle behind rest is not just vegging out on all the world has to offer, but that we rest physically and spiritually. Okay, sometimes we take this idea of Sabbath rest to be like, okay, I need a day to just do whatever I want to do. And so I'll camp out on the couch, I'll watch some movies, you know, I'll watch some sports, I'll do whatever I want to do to satisfy my worldly desires without thinking about how can I devote my time to focused attention on the Lord. Because it's spiritual rest at all as well. It's not just camping out and dining on all the world has to offer. It's feasting on Christ. So even when we sleep, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, even if you choose to sleep on the day of Sabbath rest, whatever that looks like for you, you are to do it to the glory of God. And we do that by faith, and we do that with thanksgiving. So our Sabbath rest, whatever it looks like, should be devoted to God, not to satisfy our worldly desires. And then the last principle. The Sabbath rest is eschatological. Okay, It's pointing forward to a future end. The day in which we are fully and finally restored to God. A day in which we, like Adam and Eve, dwell in that garden-type relationship. Perfect intimacy, perfect union, perfect reconciliation and restoration with the Father. Because Jesus' whole point in this... So that's our goal, right? So we're to strive to enter that rest through Jesus Christ. We're to strive. That means we don't just sit back idly and kind of hope that it happens. We pursue it, right? This is why we don't veg out, but we seek things that are going uh, to strengthen us spiritually, that we're going to honor Christ in that. Now, there are those that take more of a strict view on the Sabbath, right? And where it's a matter of the conscience, we need to respect them, okay? That's fine if they choose to do that. But... If they're saying that Sabbath observance is required for salvation, there's some big problems there because this is contrary to the gospel and it needs to be resisted. Okay? But where it's a matter of conscience, you let conscience lie where it is. I mean, you could talk to them about it, but it doesn't mean that they're not your brothers in Christ or something. So, but Jesus' whole point in this passage was to argue against that legal, rigid, you know, boundary type, you have to do this. Right? Jesus' whole point is to go something farther, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so it seems silly for us to kind of jump back into that. <clears throat> Again, the focus of the Sabbath is to change who you are, not to just change and regulate what you do. So the whole point is to realize that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. 
And if we want to enter into the Sabbath rest of God, which is the goal of every Christian, to have peace with Him, to be restored with Him, to be saved from our sin and rebellion against Him, it comes only through faith in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. So let's pursue that end together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this reminder in Scripture of how Christianity, about how religion, about how faith is not this rote um, religious practice of doing this and saying this and thinking this and, and this and this and this and this and this without our hearts being transformed to love Christ. God, I, I pray that as we sit here, that we would reflect upon why it is we're here. Are we here because we have some some sin that we just want relief from the consequences and the guilt of it? Or do we want to be changed so that we love Christ? That we cling to the one person who can save us from our sin? Are we here because we think that this is the right thing for me to do? If I am going to be a good, upstanding Christian, this is what I am supposed to do. And so I'm here today in honor of that. But I've sat here and I've tuned out the entire time and I've sang words that mean nothing to me in my heart and my mind. So God, I pray that you convict us. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see, that we would no longer be blind to the weight of what Jesus is saying when he says that I am Lord even of the Sabbath. That there's not one square inch in all of creation, whether that be nature or sickness or death or evil spirits or the souls of men, where Jesus doesn't cry out, that is mine. God, I pray that we would give him the authority over our lives. That we would be changed by him. To love him. To seek him. And to see him face to face in that eternal Sabbath rest that you promise to all who persevere in faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, it's by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.